Welcome to Collab Chats. I am your host, Kira Baker, and today I am talking with Eugene Brusilovsky. Eugene is the director of the Laboratory on Geography, Mobility, and Disability at Temple University. His research interests include the use of innovative technologies and analytical tools to examine the predictors of various health-related outcomes. He has served as co-PI on numerous federally funded longitudinal and cross-sectional studies that use a variety of GIS, statistical, and data mining tools to get a better understanding of the environmental and individual level factors that may be associated with community mobility, participation, and inclusion of individuals with disabilities. Eugene, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Kira. Uh, so tell me about how you got the idea of tracking people with GPS. So uh, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. So the goal of our research at the TU Collaborative is to study community participation and inclusion of individuals with psychiatric disabilities. But we realized as we were studying it that one of the prerequisites for community participation is community mobility. And uh, we wondered how we can measure mobility. So there have been studies that used uh, journals and self-report data, but all of those have limitations because they rely on individuals' memory and individuals' uh, adherence to writing things down. So because global positioning systems became increasingly available, we decided to try it out. And we've uh, been able to, since we tried it out, to run a few studies that employed uh, global positioning systems or GPS. How did you track folks with GPS? So in our studies, we use GPS-enabled cell phones. Uh, Android phones are able to have an app called AccuTracking, which is a really cool app because it enables you to track participants at one-minute intervals. And it's very convenient and secure because data are sent to a secure database at one-minute intervals in real time. So if you are at a certain location, your data are going to be sent to the database online, to the AccuTracking database online in real time. And basically what you have in the end is a data set that has a timestamp, latitude, and longitude. Uh, in some of the studies, we track folks for a week. In others, we track them for two weeks. And if we track them for two weeks, then we would have data for up to 20,160 minutes. So if we had one point per minute, 1,440 minutes per day in 14 days, that, that would be uh, 20,160 points. Uh, now there are also a bunch of standalone GPS trackers that could be used. Uh, they are easily available on Amazon. You can buy them uh, for relatively cheap. But we've enjoyed using GPS-enabled cell phones because that also gives our study participants some additional uh, functionalities. So they're able to use cell phones for calling, for internet browsing, and so on. And uh, one of the most recent advances is that uh, Google now tracks locations and is able to export data in a very convenient way. So Google Takeout is a product that Google has that basically enables you to export your latitude and longitude at very regular time intervals. Uh, and uh, that also becomes kind of like a data set that contains latitude, longitude, and timestamp. Wow, I have never, I've never heard of Google Takeout before. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I've only heard of it uh, maybe a couple of weeks ago. So this is a very new discovery to me. I don't know how long it's been around, but uh, Google Takeout is a fancy way of something called uh, Google Timeout, uh, sorry, Google Timeline, to export the data from Google Timeline and to put it uh, into a usable format. 
That's awesome. Where did you recruit folks from? So for our studies of individuals with psychiatric disabilities, we recruited them mostly from community mental health centers in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, we also have a study that looks at folks with autism, and we also recruited them from uh, various centers in the area. How did people feel about being tracked? I feel like that's always a question people are going to ask. <laughs> yeah, you know, so we were really concerned about it. So before we actually uh, ran the study uh, with individuals with disabilities, I did an informal survey of my friends on Facebook. And I asked them, would you feel comfortable being uh, tracked or having your location tracked rather uh, with a GPS device? And most of them said, absolutely not. But some said, okay, if this is something that could potentially be a benefit uh, to disability researchers, some said it's okay. But when we approached a bunch of individuals with uh, psychiatric disabilities, most of them didn't feel like it was a problem. And that was kind of nice and kind of uh, surprising to an extent. So uh, also after participating in our studies, we asked them how they felt about their participation. And the vast majority said that they really enjoyed being part of the study because it made them think of the things that they do in the community and potentially made them think of doing more things in the community. So I'm gonna read some quotes of uh, folks who participated in our studies about what they felt about participating. Okay. So one said, I liked it and seeing the maps made me more aware of what I was doing and feeling about my life. Another one said, I liked it because it gave me a chance to think and reflect on what I was doing and how I was feeling. Another said, I wish I would have traveled a little more, but I didn't have that much to do. Uh, another one said, it's cool and showed me how to be on time. I enjoyed it. And then a fifth one said, it's interesting and made me think about where I went and feelings towards the places. So really, a lot of positive feedback from participants and a lot of positive uh, feedback before they were involved in studies as well. So a lot of willingness to be involved in this study. The anecdotes that you shared, the quotes from part like it was motivating. It seems to have been pretty motivating for participants to maybe like develop awareness of where they're going. Yeah, that was a very interesting discovery for us as well. We were very happy to hear that this was the feedback that we received. Uh, it was kind of not something that we expected to hear, but it was a very positive thing to hear. Yeah, that's great. Um, so what did you do with the data once the GPS data were collected? Oh, that's a very uh, deep and very involved question right there. So uh, <laughs> GPS data are very messy and a lot of cleaning needs to be done once you collect them. Uh, there's a lot of missing data. So for example, if you go indoors, the GPS tracking stops because in order for GPS data to con uh, collection to continue, your GPS tracker needs to have access to the satellites, to the sky. So once you're indoors, unless you're right next to the window, uh, your tracking stops. And sometimes if uh, the person forgets the phone or if the person doesn't charge the phone or if the battery dies on them, there's no tracking. So you need to come up with an algorithm that cleans the data and imputes missing data. And we did all of that and we were able to actually come up with some meaningful constructs, some meaningful uh, variables that we could create from GPS data. So after you clean the data, you can create different mobility variables? Yep, that's exactly right. So we came up with an algorithm that enables us to create a bunch of different community mobility variables from the GPS data. One of those is the number of destinations. So how many destinations did the individuals visit over the, over the course of the tracking period? 
And in our, in our studies, we define the destination in a way that when there were at least 10 GPS points, which are within 20 minutes and 200 meters of one another, that was a cluster or a destination. We also uh, calculated the number of unique destinations. So for example, if a person went to a friend's house uh, five times of the course of the tracking period, then that friend's address would be counted as a unique destination rather than five different destinations. We calculated the time that the individual spent outside the house, time they spent at other destinations, and time in transit. Uh, we computed the distance that the folks traveled over the, the scope of the uh, tracking period, and uh, we also computed the activity space area. An activity space is something that's defined to be the local areas within which people move or travel during the course of their daily activities. And we operationalize it as the minimum convex polygon containing all of the individual's points, uh, all of the individual's GPS points, I should say. And we are able to then calculate the area of this polygon or of this activity space. We also computed how many days of the course of the tracking period they didn't leave their house, how many days of the course of the tracking period they had a certain number of destinations, a certain activity space size, and so on. What, what sort of software do you need to clean the data to create these variables? So we used initially a wide range of software packages. They included ArcGIS, SAS, RapidMiner, and Excel. And eventually we decided that this was just too much and we tried to get all of this into a single software package. And we decided to use R, which is a free software package that's available to everyone. And we were able to write the code to do all of the data cleaning and the variable calculation. And the, available, uh, the code is actually available on the TU Collaborative website. It's annotated and available along with all the descriptions. Awesome. So it's, it's there for anyone who wants, to, wants it. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so what are some of your findings? So it's a great question. We have a bunch of studies uh, that we ran with GPS data. All of those studies were funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, or NIDLR. And uh, some of those uh, studies have tracked folks for a week. Some of them have tracked folks for two weeks. Some of them look at people with psychiatric disabilities. Others look at people with uh, autism. And the first study that we ran was published in 2016 in Social Science and Medicine. It's a study by Brusilovsky, Salzer, and Klein. Uh, and it's really a feasibility study. So we collected data from five individuals with psychiatric disabilities. And that's a study where we actually developed the uh, GPS variables that, we, uh, that I talked about earlier. So the activity space area, the number of destinations, number of unique destinations, distance traveled, time out of the house, and so on. Uh, another study that we just got published, also in the Social Science and Medicine Journal, is a study that was uh, that I co-authored with Lou Klein, uh, Greg Townley, Gretchen Sneedham, Brian McCormick, Chef Hiramath, and Mark Salzer. And it looked at the relationship between community mobility and community participation. We saw that greater amount of participation was associated with having more destinations and spending more time outside of the house but it wasn't associated with traveling larger distances and having a greater activity space area. And we also saw that none of the mobility variables were related to the number of important participation areas or sufficiency of participation. A third study is a study that was led by Brian McCormick and it's currently under review in the Psychiatric Rehabilitation Journal. It's co-authored co by myself, uh, Gretchen Sneedon, Greg Townley and Mark Salzer. 
And basically, it found that homebodies or individuals who spend more time at home had poorer cognitive functioning than those individuals who left the house. Uh, homebodies in this case were defined as those, as those folks who didn't leave their house on more than half of the days in the two-week tracking period. And then uh, another study is a study that was led by Greg Townley and co-authored by myself, Luke Klein, Brian McCormick, Gretchen Sneedon, and Mark Salzer. It was just recently submitted to the Community Mental Health Journal. And it looked at uh, whether uh, visiting community mental health centers was associated with greater participation and mobility. So folks uh, exhibited more community mobility on days when they visited their community mental health centers. So on the days that you went to visit your community mental health center, uh, you have more destinations, spend more time out of the house, and travel greater distances. And these are all the studies so far that have been published or under review in journals. You've been doing, you've been keeping yourself busy while well, yeah, many of those sure. aren't been, getting We've been very busy with uh, these types of analyses, and it's a really cool uh, set of data that we get to analyze with GPS. That's really cool. Um, so, and I was thinking as you were talking about this, I have always kind of felt like a bit of a homebody. <laughs> um, and I think that maybe many of us have become more of a homebody with COVID. And I'm just curious about how we, how everyone may be affected um, by needing to stay at home more frequently. And that's actually a great lead-in into a current study that we're working on. And that is a study that looks at how the COVID lockdowns have affected community mobility of people with uh, autism. And we basically tracked folks for uh, two weeks right before the COVID lockdowns, so in uh, 2020. Mm -hmm. And then we tracked them right at the beginning of the COVID lockdowns. And we've seen that there was a substantial decrease in community mobility, uh, basically in activity space area, the number of destinations, time spent out of the house, distance traveled, and so on. So a really large decrease in mobility. And this was right at the time when the COVID lockdown started, and then a month later. Wow. So we've seen those lockdowns actually have a significant effect, as we would expect, on yeah. mobility. But you're absolutely right. We would then need to examine what effect those lockdowns will have, this decreased mobility will have on all the other uh, factors that are associated with uh, mobility. This might be things like physical activity. It might be things like uh, cognitive uh, functioning. It might be psychiatric symptoms. It might be quality of life and so on. Just being able to get out of the house, whether it's just for a simple walk, um, has such a huge effect on my own life, you know? Absolutely. Uh, and I'm in the same boat. It's yeah. definitely, COVID has definitely affected my uh, participation, my mobility. I've definitely become much more of a homebody than I've ever been in my life. And uh, it's definitely affecting other, other parts of my life as well. So uh, I think that everybody is on the same page right now with, uh, with how, it, how COVID has affected them. Of course, uh, you know, where we are in life in terms of other aspects of life might have to do with uh, how good our outcomes will be. But uh, that's what it is. Yeah, it's what it is. Um, 
Eugene, thank you so much. Thank you so much for uh, doing the interview. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Collab Chats is a knowledge translation activity developed by the Rehabilitation Research and Training Center on Community Living and Participation for Individuals with Serious Mental Illnesses. Funding for this podcast and support for the collaborative comes from the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research. The contents of this podcast do not necessarily represent the policies of Nidler, ACL, HHS, and you should not assume endorsement by the U.S. federal government. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to discuss it with us, email us at tucollab at temple.edu. To learn more about the work that we do, visit our website at tucollaborative.org or find us on Facebook at Temple University Collaborative on Community Inclusion and on Instagram and Twitter at tucollab.